This is episode number 161, Acknowledging Gender and Diversity, with Celia Sandia. Welcome, my name is Oleg Lohit, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your false potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to invite all of our listeners to our upcoming weekly call called Courageous Conversations. This is an open discussion that we started 10 weeks ago, where we come together as a community every single Saturday and talk about a topic that matters most in their lives. If you would like to know more details about any of these upcoming calls, consider leaving us a message through our website to which we respond to you with all the details. Also, if you like what you heard on any of the previous episodes, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can hear these inspiring stories. Now, let's get back to the show. Celia, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for joining and thank you for the conversation that you had prior and thank you for being so patient with me and <laughs> some in, in the day that I've had. And no it's, it's one of the things that I, I tell people and I was very fortunate to pick up from a friend of mine who one time she mentioned to me this. She said, you know, there's certain things in life, actually most things in life where life just happens. And certain conversations take longer, certain interactions take longer. And so instead of beating myself up or thinking, man, there's so many others that I have to get to, I just, mm-hmm. I just started to let go of it. And as long as I can communicate with the next individual and saying, hey, this is going to happen, then I think that's the best I can ever do. Absolutely. Yeah. In embracing that aspect of life. But the conversation that I remember we were having initially and the conversation that we wanted to have today revolved around this question of our companies using intersectional identities for branding themselves. I think that's a really interesting question. And the reason why is because I actually never thought about it that way. And I'm curious to hear from your perspective, based on your experience, when did something like that make sense as a possibility? So I'll introduce myself. I'm an Asian Indian. Uh, I identify as gender fluid and a non-op trans. And having identified as a gender fluid and non-op trans, it's so interesting when the world, when they look at me, you know, the first question they say, hey, are you trans? Or the other question I get is, hey, you're brown. You know, that's the only identity I've been, that's the quick identity that people get from me. But what I wanted to tell them is, I would always love to introduce myself as an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. as a Christian, as an immigrant, as a musician, as a parent, and as a father, um, as a parent. And um, I'm also married, so you know, I am a husband. So there's so many aspects in my life, which I think it's so important when you define a human being with all these aspects in the intersectional identities 
And that defines the wholeness of the person rather than just identifying a person as, uh, you know, white or brown or, and that's about it. You know, that's not the way um, the companies need to identify their employees. Mm-hmm. I think it is one, uh, so it's so important that way. You know, I hope that answered your question. But I'm just waiting to also hear from a lot of companies in terms of, with so many uh, intersectionalities and also the various ethnicities they have, the various races they have within the company, how are they trying to navigate through all those spaces? You know, when you look at companies, it's predominantly depending on the community that they are involved with. Mm-hmm. Because a company is defined by the community of people aligned towards a common goal. And within that community, if you're living in a community where it's predominantly white, then it's important for the companies to also start thinking of a little diversity that they need to bring into the company. And when you bring in some diversity, it's also the other aspects of it. You know, like uh, when, they, when they hire me as a trans person, I don't want to be just hired for the reason that I'm trans, but I'm also contributing to the productivity of the company. And I am a manager. I have experience in management consulting. And I'm very specific in life sciences and bio um, healthcare. So there's a lot of aspects. And I have a background in, in computer science and I worked on genome projects. So there's so much that I've accomplished in my life that's so diminished when people think about hiring a trans person, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I've tried for jobs in the senior position uh, after I came out. And it was such a difficult conversation to have with the senior vice presidents of HR because they don't understand that aspect of it. The only thing they know is your resume is fine. You're great. We love your resume. But unfortunately, our company is not really in the position to handle an agenda non-binary person like me at the senior level. And those are the kind of conversations I've had, especially with companies. And even if I have tried to explain to them that you tell me what is your goal in your company and I can tell you how I can strategize to help you, they don't see that aspect because it's a big blockhead for them. It's a big taboo. There's a lot of unbiased, unconscious bias that they have in the minds. But I know companies are trying today. They are doing their best in terms of hiring people who are different and especially gender non-binary. But still, they need to move the needle further down to also add all the intersectionalities in it. Um, so I think it kind of helps to understand, you know, those intersectionalities when it comes to company. Mm-hmm. So in a case like that, I'm curious to know, how do you stay true to who you are and what you believe your truth is, but then also understanding that there's that other side where it's like you, you, you almost have to change in order to be able to fit into that mold within that organization? It is not a, see the important thing, the mistake that people make is we don't change based on companies. Right. Companies need to change to based accommodate on us. People. Yeah. Because if we start changing um, based on the company, what happens is the companies will never learn. You know, they're always in the point where they say that, hey, I w- I'm gonna treat you like a resource. If I will hire you, get the job done for me. If not, I'm going to hire someone else. Now, if they have that kind of an attitude, the companies will never be able to grow. 
Because as a company, you're looking at people, process, technology. You know, those are the three aspects of it. People is very important. And the people aspect is so important in a company that if the senior leadership is not empowering the people, then the company will not be effective. Mm. They'll just be rolling from year to year, meeting the Wall Street expectations. They'll probably do well, but these companies will always be catching up on diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. They will never be in the forefront of it. You know, it's always good to have companies and the CEOs in their agenda while they're meeting the Wall Street expectations, while they have their personal goals that they need to accomplish in the company. They also need to empower people. So empowering people is not just giving them trainings, but also helping them to live their authentic self, giving them the space to work in the way they are. You know, like when you're, when you're um, in the Indian community, you have Sikh community, you have um, African-Americans who have braided hair. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have Indians, sometimes they have, um, you know, they, they wear a dot, you know, especially the bindi, uh, you know, sometimes they wear. And I wear bindi sometimes. But um, there are times when companies' culture is so important that you need to include diverse people and also have certain boundaries. You know, you can't come to um, work in a shorts. You know, some companies do, but if it's a financial company, it's also the way in which these companies are organized. It depends on this industry also, because financial industry is a lot more formal um, than certain sectors. You know, if you take media industry, they're absolutely very informal. If you take the fashion industry, they're so much into fashion. They want people to be really in the cutting edge of fashion. Uh, cosmetic industry is so different. Um, so there are different ways in which the industries work. And there's no one single mold. But companies also need to start thinking about diversity and accepting the authenticity that they bring in. But at mm. the same time, you should have certain etiquettes. You know, you can't just come around in a bikini or, you know, the very inappropriate dressing, especially when it comes to companies. Um, so there are some certain norms they have to follow, but it need not be, I would say more gender neutral kind of norms so that um, you know it's not enforced on women that women should always wear pants or women cannot wear skirts, women cannot right. wear something. Right. And then men, it's just, you know, you wear pants. Um, so there are lots of ways in which companies need to be a little bit more open and look at what are the key things they need to focus on and how much amount of authenticity or how they can help their employees to express themselves and also align with the company goals and also make sure that they are productive and effective in their roles, not just coming. Uh, so those aspects are really important when it comes to the, uh, you know, the being who you are in a company. Mm-hmm. Take me a step back. And for those that are not familiar with your story and your experiences that led you to the person that you are today and what you try to do as far as the impact that you're trying to have and a level, level of influence, what was your early upbringing or childhood like and how did some of those influences shape who you are today? Absolutely. So I was um, born in India and when I was four years old, I knew I was different. At the time, um, it's so early in life, you don't know much about gender, you don't know much about sexuality. The only thing I knew as a child was I wanted to be a girl and I was telling my mom that I want to be a girl and I covered myself in a sari and I was pretending to be a girl. 
at the time I knew my gender wasn't doing justice to my anatomy. It was a, such a, a, I would say, there's a lot of things in my life I couldn't explain as a child, but I wanted to do something. I was dreaming of being a girl. And my mom looked at the social constructs, especially with the British government had left in India, which was so binary. Mm-hmm. She looked at these constructs and she was looking at my life and she said, you know, I don't want my son to grow into a hijra. Uh, I don't want my son to be aligned with someone he is not. And I want him to be a boy. So she told me, you cannot dress up in these clothes. These are not something you should be wearing. You're a boy. And um, at the time, I was thinking to myself as to why I can't express myself as a, as a girl. And at the same time, in my gender identity, I was more attracted to women. So I, I knew that I wasn't gay. But at the same time, I was thinking about why am I attracted to women that I literally want to be a woman, (laughs) which was very interesting for me. So I started suppressing my femininity and I started surviving because coming out in India would have been really difficult for me as a child. So I started suppressing my femininity and I, every morning I'll wake up with this noise in my head. It's almost like a white noise that says, okay, I need to be a boy. I Mm. need to do things that can, that I don't want to give away my femininity in any way because if they find out, I will get bullied, I will get beaten. I don't want to be that kind of, I don't want to be known that way. Mm -hmm. So I tried extra hard to be a boy. And when I do something, I always never wanted to express anything in my my character that contributed to the femininity. You know, I didn't want to expose my femininity. I suppressed it for a very long time, but I didn't realize that I was going through depression. I was going through suicidal um, ideations. Uh, I was abused when I was a child um, twice by my relatives in my family. I didn't want to talk about it. So I was carrying a lot of hurt. I was carrying a lot of abuse. I was carrying so much of discrimination within my own self. And I was so scared to come out. And there were times when I... I I tried coming out when I was in my ninth grade. I remember I came out and I was wearing this little skirt and a a, a top and I was out. Um, It was kind of in dusk and I was publicly humiliated by uh, the construction workers who caught me. And uh, they started humiliating me. They started using all derogatory names. And I was so scared that day because I knew that they would beat me up or tie me up or you know, take me, do something to me. I was so scared. And that's what happens to people like me in India. You know, when you are, when they don't like you, they can do whatever they want to you. And the society is okay with it. And I was so scared. So I spoke in a different language and I confused them and I walked away from that scene. I came back home and thinking that I'm afraid to live and I'm also afraid to die. What am I going to do? You know, there's so much of things going on in my life. So I just sucked it all up and I said, I'm just going to learn to survive. You know, whatever happens, I just, I'm, I don't want to die. I don't know how, what I'm going to do. So when my friends had ambitions that they wanted to be a doctor, engineer, or they wanted to be a scientist, my ambition in life was just to survive. I, 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 honestly, I did not think that I would make it this far. <laughs> it's so weird. I struggled in my college. I did my master's in computer science and I struggled uh, even within that. I was going through gender dysphoria. At the time, I didn't know it was gender dysphoria. And gender dysphoria is basically when you are born in a birth, I mean, the birth gender, I'm a boy, it's Mm -hmm. my male gender. 
and my preferred gender is uh, female. So when I switch between genders, it, it gives me a lot of gender dysphoria, which I was going through. So even when I was getting married, I met this beautiful woman. I, all, I even to that last extent, I thought that if I marry a cisgender girl, I would be fine. You know, everything will go away. I, my femininity would go away and I'll be okay. Um, so I was working in a good company. I was doing, um, you know, I was earning six figures. I was doing really well in my business. And I, um, I came to this country a couple of, uh, two decades back, almost 23 years now. Mm-hmm. And I was working in New York at the time. I remember um, I was so depressed every day. I would go back to my room. And while I was doing very well in my professional life, my personal life was hurting. There was a lot of mental issues that I was going through, which I did not want to talk about. I did not want to expose because it will show my weakness as a leader. And... Um, so that was a big, big, uh, I would say, that was how I started my journey. I worked with a lot of um, Fortune 500 companies. I worked with top fives, great, great companies. I have done really well as a partner in some of these companies. I've made lots of money. Um, so personally, I was doing well, but my wife was not able to understand why a person like me who is successful in the business would still be going through these issues. So... Yeah, I went through a lot. Um, my wife was asking me, why are you coming out and what happened to you? You know, you're doing well. And why, why are you dressing up like a girl? What's, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you know, um, and I did not know the answers to all these questions. I went for therapy and they called me, uh, the therapist told me that I was um, confused gay um, at the time in 2004 because people did not understand. And, and uh, the only categories that they gave to the trans community was either you're a cross-dresser or you're a transsexual. And I, was, I did not identify with both because it was not about dressing. And I did not want to change my gender. You know, I did not want to have a sex change or gender reassignment surgery. So I ended up um, still struggling with my gender. And I came out late in my life in 2011. I wanted to come out and I came out I didn't want to come out in the company that I was working with at the time because I was in a leadership position. I had lots of people reporting to me, almost like 200 people. I had a global team, almost 600 people reporting to me from, um, so it always shows your weakness as a leader. You know, you don't want to expose your vulnerability. And that's how I was. But once I quit my that company that I was working for, and I went and joined another company. I wanted to come out in that company and I could not because I was in a really senior position. I was a senior director. I was revered for all the wonderful strategy that I brought in. Um, and I was very happy with my professional side. But as soon as when the nine to five hits, I go back to my hotel room after I, I remove my business suit. And I was just cringing in, in, a, in a skirt and thinking to myself as to why can't I come out? You know, it was such a difficult time for me. And I joined another third company after that. And, and in that company, I came out as gender fluid. It is a non-op trans. And I realized that in my journey in gender, I didn't want to change my, my, my gender. I didn't want to have a sex change. Um, those days they call it a sex change, but it's called gender reassignment surgery. Mm-hmm. And I did not want to because of various reasons. So I have socially transitioned. People know me as Daniels and Celia. But I came out in the company and I said, I'm not going to change my gender. I'm not going to have a 
I'm not, I'm not taking hormones and I want to live my life authentically. And I will not affect the way in which the company is productive. I will not affect any of the way in which my role is, whatever role that I'm doing, but I want to come out in both my genders. Um, it was difficult for the companies to understand. They said, we will help you transition. We, we have all the medical benefits for you. And we can help you with that. But I said, no, I'm, I'm not looking for medical benefits. I'm just looking for social acceptance, professional acceptance as Celia and as Daniels. And um, that was such a big, big issue with companies. And I talk about it a lot today. And there are companies that are making strides in that area. So I have given talks within the client sites and I started my own company after an interesting conversation that I had, uh, after an interesting experience I had. Um, but um, I just want to pause here because I, I wanted to, I, I can go on and on, but um, that's my journey in a nutshell. And I just wanted to, and I'm, I'm trying to be my authentic self. Mm-hmm. You can say a person has two spirits, you know, a person with two spirits, both male and female, and they want to enhance both the spirits. They want to live the life in both those genders. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, the world is not set up that way. You mm-hmm. have only one gender. Even my ID, I have changed from male and female to I made it as gender neutral now. So that I wouldn't get pulled over by the police or I wouldn't have an issue when I wave my badge in my company security side. You know, mm-hmm. those are things that I work with. <laughs> Do you feel accepted in the world right now? I sometimes, uh, I don't look for acceptance because I was looking for acceptance in the wrong place. I'm looking for people to realize that there are folks like me. Mm-hmm. In India, they call my people like me as a third gender. In the Native American culture, we call it as five genders, people with five genders. So in every culture, you have always seen the transgender community coming out as one of the third genders or maybe a different gender. But unfortunately, as male and female, those are sex-related concepts, right? Right. Because male and female, they are... They are the, so gender is different from sex. It's very important to understand that part of it. Mm-hmm. And I don't deny that male and female are the ones who, um, you know, reproduce and they give birth to children. I get that. I'm a Christian. I understand that. And I believe that it's okay for, um, you know, some, some of them don't get married. Some of them don't have children. So it's not that your job is to reproduce and create children in this world. Sometimes you don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, but it's, it's difficult for us to explain to the world about what I'm doing. I have a hard time sometimes explaining to people about who I am. And I find a lot more joy. I ask them, what do you see when you look at me? They'll say that you are a trans woman. That's all we know then I will tell them that, okay, this is my real self. You know, this is my, this is Daniels and this is Celia. So I am in both genders. Mm-hmm. Do you have any issues in accepting that? They'll say like, no, I don't see any issue there. Mm-hmm. So I said, that's called, that's how people are, you know, gender fluid. Mm-hmm. And this culture is not even new. It's probably 4,000 years old in India. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like way, way old. Um, so it's such an old concept. And many of the Hindu gods were living in this gender fluidity. And there was so much happening in Indian culture, which I, uh, I believe that, you know, we need to uh, adopt and change. So it's kind of re-educating our entire civilization about gender fluidity and gender non-binary. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel 
happened to the whole gap? You know, why are we doing this again? Why are we educating people again? It's not that we just came out. We were not hiding somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's well, what it is. <laughs> I think a lot of it also boils down to the fact that it, I don't know if it's necessarily re-educating. I think in certain cases, it is actually educating for the first time because some of the things we, in my opinion, I did take for granted and probably still do without a level of awareness because let's face it, they're always going to be blind spots. Always. Self-limiting beliefs are always going to be there. The subconscious and unconscious bias are always going to be there. So it's in the moments where I feel like I know something I also understand that in that moment, there is a possibility of me not knowing anything about whatever it is that I think I know something about. In your case, and this is something that I wanted to point out as well, could you briefly take us through your own understanding in expressing the difference between gender and sex, as I believe you mentioned? What is the difference between the two so that a lot of our listeners can relate to yeah, absolutely. So um, I've had this question a lot and I educate community about it because um, it's really important when you take the LGBTQ mm-hmm. community. So the LG and B community are more dealing with uh, sexual orientation. So it's more of a sexual orientation issue that they have. It's whom they're attracted to. Mm-hmm. When you take the T community, it's about who they are or the gender identity whom they go who they identify as so that's why it's called a gender identity issue versus a sexual orientation issue so so that is why i'm um I, though i'm still heterosexual as as a, as a sexual person mm-hmm. i identify myself more as a heterosexual person because um i'm not attracted to as a male as a you know my birth gender is my male self and i'm not attracted to male uh, uh, or I would say I'm not attracted to men. Mm-hmm. I'm attracted to women. And here I am still transitioning into this wonderful trans woman, but I'm still attracted to women. So it's like I'm a trans lesbian. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of weird. But um, the funny concept they say is um, when they say, you know, sex is defined as who do you go to bed with and uh, genders, who do you go to bed as? Mm. So, that's how they make it so easy. And gender is between, it's always in the head and sex is between your thighs. So those mm-hmm. are the ways in which, you know, we educate people to understand um, that the sexual orientation is absolutely different from the gender identity. Even mm-hmm. though I was born as a male, uh, I still identify, almost I would say, I still identify as a woman but I don't want to transition. You know, that's my, my story because I believe my journey is different from people who are pre-op, pre-op transgender or non-op, uh, sorry, pre-op transgender or post-op transgender. Mm-hmm. I identify as a non-op transgender because I don't want to have, um, you know, I don't take hormones. I don't, um, I don't, I don't want to have a gender reassignment surgery. So my, uh, the issues that I'm dealing with are more gender related. It's not about who I'm attracted to. It's completely within me, right? Um, so that's why the LGBTQ and the Q is basically queer. The queer is more of, uh, you know, questioning. You're questioning, you're trying to explore, you're trying to understand. You could be um, gender queer 
you're trying to understand, you're kind of um, saying that, you know, I am trying to understand, or I don't identify with male or female. I don't, I just want to be a very unique person on my own. And I want to express myself, my queerness. And that's why you know, it's gender queer is another category. It's called Q. Um, and it's also, there are other folks who call themselves, even in the sexual orientation, there are people who are queers. So um, that's how the LGBTQ uh, works. But within the T spectrum, uh, the transgender spectrum, um, there was another category that was created, but it's not within the T community. It's called the gender non-binary. That is, they don't identify within the transgender spectrum, but it's, they don't want to be identified as any gender at all. You know, like, I don't want to identify myself as a male. I don't want to identify as a female. I just, I'm a person of my own. So um, they call themselves as the use of pronouns as they, them. Um, and that's how they call themselves as uh, gender non-binary. So I'll explain in a very easy way. Um, I'm a gender fluid person. So uh, that, that I cannot go with, within the spectrum. Sometimes I identify as Daniels. When I'm Daniels, I go by he, him. When I'm Celia, I go by she, her. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I like to um, probe the, um, the middle ground where I like to identify as a gender non-binary. So when I um, dress up as very gender neutral, sometimes I don't, um, you know, deck myself as a woman more. I, I just give this gender neutral uh, tone to myself. And when I identify as gender neutral, I, I go by they, them pronouns. So I love, uh, you know, going through the transgender spectrum or going through the gender spectrum where I identify in all these pronouns because I believe that as human beings, we should be able to express who we are and um, sometimes acceptance might not come because people are always binary. You know, the mindset is so binary that we cannot think about anything out of the box. And that's why gender non-binary is so focused. And I'm helping the companies to accept people who are gender fluid, gender non-binary, because that category of 27% of the youth in California mm -hmm. identify as gender non-binary. So we are looking at a large population of youth who don't want to be identified as male or female. So it is a, uh, this is not something which is new, but this is something that people have identified over the decades, but now they're trying to re, I mean, as you said, right, educating themselves. Um, so that's where um, the whole spectrum of LGBTQ sexual orientation and gender identity is. The question that I have is you bring up so many interesting things to explore. And obviously due to the time that we have, we can't get into a 10 hour conversation, but <laughs> the, the, the thing that I've learned is one of the difficulties that I experience sometimes is the language part. And that's having to transition from she, he to they and understanding where that person is along the particular chapter that I'm meeting Matt and I'm curious to learn from your perspective first when it comes to that responsibility aspect in a situation where you might be presenting a more neutral look or you aspire to mm -hmm. in that case do you let the individual know as far as how you would like to be addressed and then that's the first first thought that comes to mind. And the second thought is in situations where let's say the person doesn't always catch on because it's a practice. I do believe it's a practice. It's, it's, I mean, it's literally in my experience has been, it's, it's learning how to learn the language 
like that, completely mm-hmm. new language mm-hmm. versus me referring to you as she or he, now I have to transition to they in those situations. Right. In those situations where the person may not be aware enough to catch it, do you take that personally or do you try and uh, correct them or what, what do you do? What's the action that you take in, in order to help educate them wherever they're at? Yeah, absolutely. This is a really important question you asked and it's so, so important for, and it's a great question mm-hmm. because a lot of them struggle with it today. So the first thing that I would um, ask our viewers and especially folks who are listening to this call is when you meet somebody, you always want to say your pronouns. <clears throat> that the way I introduce myself is, hey, I'm Celia. I go by she, her pronouns. And then I would ask, how would you want me to address you? Because you don't identify just by looking at a person that the person is male or female. Right. Because you have this preconceived notion. Now, when you look at me, the first thing you say is, you know, I'm going to call you a she, her, because you look like a woman, mm-hmm. right? That's how the companies are. And that's how the companies, you know, anybody, <laughs> not the companies, but anybody, that's how they think. But um, they don't ask the person as to um, how can I address you? So that's the way. So the way we do it is, hey, uh, I'm Celia. I go by she, her pronouns then I give it to them. So how do you want me to introduce you? And you say, hey, I'm Ole. I go by he, him pronouns. And it's very simple. So, um, and then when I when I want to be known as they, them, I'll say that, hey, um, and uh, you know, however I present myself, I'll say, um, hey, I'm Celia. I want to be, and I go by they, them pronouns. So when I give what I want to be addressed as, it's like my name, it's, it's a part of my name. So the name and the pronouns, they go together, which defines who I am um, when I express myself or when I express my identity. Mm-hmm. So um, when I'm Daniel, people have said, hey, we are so used to Celia. We, can we call you she, her? And I said, no, because um, I, it's not about what you think, but it's about what I want. What you want. Mm-hmm. The address. Suppose it's like that. And then when, when they ask me and I say, I want, I want to be known as he, him when I'm Daniel. So those are certain things that we can learn, especially in the email messages when you're, you would have seen a lot of them uh, put he, him. And some people ask me, what on earth is this? You say you're John and you're saying he, him. Obviously, John is he, him. But the times are changing now that John might still not want to be known as he, him, because John says, you know what? I think I'm a universal being. I want to be known as they, them. In fact, the funny thing is, is if you look at the Shakespearean language and the old English language, they was like, thou art, you know, thou, they, that's how they mm-hmm. call themselves. It was, it's not an old concept. <laughs> it's such an, uh, I would say it's more Shakespearean kind of language where I have a hard time also with they, them, you know, and when someone is, um, using the wrong pronouns, you can correct them. You can tell them that, hey, uh, I would, um, I go by he, him pronouns or I go by she, her pronouns. And then they would say, correct. I mean, I wouldn't correct them with anger, but I would correct them with so much of, uh, you know, with compassion and love because I want them to learn. Mm-hmm. And it's like this, right? Suppose um, I'm an Indian. Uh, if I had a name, Sandhya, my, my middle name is Sandhya. And people don't get it. They'll say, hey, can I call you Sandy because your name is Sandhya? It's, I don't get it. Can I call you Sandy? Now, when someone says that, the first thing that hits me is, my name is Sandhya and I want you, call, I want you to call me Sandhya. 
I don't want to be addressed because it doesn't, you're not able to say it right. Mm-hmm. Pronouns are like that. It's because whatever is not convenient for you, is you don't want to use that on people. Mm-hmm. Because right now I'm looking at your last name and I don't know how to spell it. And can I, uh, and if I tell you that Oleg, can I just call you uh, Oleg Yao? Or can I call you, you know, Lockheed? Is that okay mm-hmm. to call? You'll say, no, no, that's not my name. You need to call me as this way. And then since I respect you and I try to correct myself, I try to note it down in my book and say that next time when I'm, when I'm meeting Ole, I'm going to call you this way. Mm-hmm. And I will make sure that I spell it right in the ethnicity that you are in. It could be Russian. It could be Hungarian. It could be mm-hmm. Sweden. I want to you know, use that same tone when I call you. And that is so important for people. And I have seen that a lot of Indian culture, when they can't spell a name, they just call me something else. You know, like, hey, my last name is Daniels. Oh, can I call you Dan? No, my name is Daniels. Please call me Daniels. Oh, can I call you Danny? No, please call me Daniels. That is, that's how I have to correct people. Pronouns are like that. When you, when it's not about what they think. So I, I sometimes correct them. Very rarely, very rarely, there are people who are arrogant mm-hmm. and people who are ignorant. People who are ignorant, you can correct them, but people who are arrogant, you know, that, that's a conscious bias, as mm-hmm. you mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. Unconscious bias is right. Sometimes they don't realize they are, they are using the wrong pronouns and it's okay to correct them. But I think uh, people like me or from the, especially when you are in the community, you need to be patient with people. Mm-hmm. You can't be can't say you know what i'm gender neutral for tomorrow you need to call me this way it doesn't work that way right so mm-hmm. you have to also be patient so it's it's together you work with them you don't say you know this is how it is and if you don't use the right pronoun i'm gonna get really mad i'm gonna go to the hr i'm gonna go to my dad and tell him right so i uh, i think it's it's a learning process and it has to be done with uh working together mm. celia what's the best way that people can connect with you, learn about your work? Do you have anything else that coming up in the meantime that people can be a part of? Absolutely. So I am, um, I'm the vice president of Stonewall um, Democratic Club in Ventura County. I think there's mm-hmm. a lot going on within our government. So I, um, you know, it's important for me to voice out for folks like me. So I, I want, I joined this, um, this uh, group, this party basically to make sure that, you know, voices are heard and LGBTQ especially um, the transgender community with all the work discrimination that went to Supreme Court on the healthcare. I know I'm a part of the vice president in that group. I'm also on the board of uh, TransCan Work. So I'm trying to help the trans community and the gender non-binary community to get, um, you know, to empower them in the workplace. And I also work with an organization called Diversity Collective. Uh, They are based in my community here. They do a lot of work on HIV, AIDS, and so much of work within our community. It's our local LGBTQ center in uh, Ventura County that I work with. I also work with an organization called Sahodri Foundation back in India uh, mm-hmm. with my friend, Dr. Kalki Subramaniam, because it's important for me. You know, I, I lived half my life here and half my life in India. So I always right. like to help my community back in India. So I work with this organization. I just put my head into two many organizations. But the easiest way to find out is, uh, you know, if you, if you Google my name, Celia Sandhya Daniels, you will find a lot of my connections. And I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, so my easiest email is Celia San 
Daniels, S-A-N Daniels at gmail.com. Um, so I like to, uh, you know, always get involved with organizations. I, love, I look at myself as a connector for organizations and I find a lot of um, intersectionalities that we can bring in. And if you're having an immigration issue, I can help you with that here. If you're having homelessness because you're LGBTQ or you know kicked out of from home, I have I have contact with all these organizations, with the healthcare, uh, with the providers. I, mean, I work with a lot of psych- uh, psychiatrists, mm-hmm. uh, doctors, educating that community, educating the employers. Um, so it's always a con- educating the college students, educating the school board in how we can help the trans community. So it's, I love connecting people because uh, I, I believe it's an ecosystem of how much we can influence, you know, mm-hmm. as a human being, where I can influence around that. So that's the uh, easiest way to get in touch with me. I know I give the mouthful when you ask me for one, <laughs> one thing, but um, that's the easiest way to contact or get in touch with me. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, feel free to subscribe to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can hear these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we'll look forward to having you next week.